Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. We're going to pray, but uh, our Focus Church, we've been praying for a church every weekend, and our Focus Church this weekend is to uh, pray for Church of the Highlands. They are uh, located in Birmingham, Alabama. This is Pastor Chris and Tammy Hodges. They pastor America's second largest church right now. They run about 60,000 people on a weekend. It's, uh, it's kind of a big deal over there. Uh, I think they're in 12 different prison systems with prison reform going on, uh, just a number of things. And uh, Steve, I know that Pastor Chris was your youth pastor once upon a time. And uh, Corey, who is one of our overseers, uh, is part of Church of the Highlands, and Pastor Chris is his pastor. I went there when I left here in 2011. I just needed God to minister to me. I'd been in full-time ministry since I was 19, and, and I just needed uh, some pastoring for me. And I went there, and I lived for about five weeks. I went to every single thing. I wanted God to show me how to do some things different. Uh, they're doing some amazing, amazing things. And uh, so I want them to be, because big churches need prayer too, everybody. Come on now. New levels bring new devils, all right? So uh, let's pray for them, and then we'll dive into our deal. So Father, today, uh, I was just on the phone with Church of the Highlands uh, just yesterday, and um, they're facing their unique set of challenges uh, also coming out of COVID. And so I pray for Pastor Chris and Tammy Hodges and their entire team of uh, over 200 staff members and, and multiple locations. God, there's a lot going on there. And that city and that state and those, those prisoners, they definitely need that light that they're shining in that community. So Father, we lift them up and we thank you that we're a part of something that is bigger than just us. I pray your blessings, I pray your protection, I pray your anointing on them. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Well, I've been in church, as I've, I've been saying this a lot lately, and, and I don't know why. I don't know if I'm now uh, at the age where I'm always looking backwards more. I hope not. I hope I'm looking forwards more. But for 35 years, I've been preaching. We were driving down the road the other day talking about, man, for 35 years... Every single week, other than a vacation here and there, I have preached the gospel of Jesus. And, uh, and we've been involved in the local church. I've been involved in the local church like every single week of my life since I was like seven years old. And, and I've been in church long enough to see some things. Uh, would, you, would you give me that one? Um, and, and not all the things I see are good. Would you give me that one? <laughs> I know you good Christian folks think everything that happens in church is just sweet Jesus. But there's a devil in the church too. How many know what I'm talking about? And we've seen some really funny things. I've always threatened because when my family and I, we're together and you're not listening, we tell funny stories of things that happen in church. And it usually happens every single Sunday. And we make fun of you guys. No, we don't really. I'm just kidding. But there are funny things that happen in church, and some of them we can't tell yet. You, you know what I mean? Because it was somebody's sister or brother or relative or something. And, um, and, and I've always said, one day when I retire, I'm going to write a book of all the things that I can't talk about. Because i got some good stories I get to use on the weekends, but i got some really good stories that I can't even use. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And because uh, you might start looking around the room going, I think he's talking about him, you know. And uh, I remember this one time, no kidding, I was preaching an illustrated sermon and the lights were dark in the room, kind of dim. And we I think at the time we had four different sections in, in our auditorium that seated 1500. And and over on that section, there was a guy about midway back on the end aisle and he was sitting there with his arm around his wife. And, and I'm preaching, and there's, I, I don't remember what all's going on, and, and he got up, and I'm supposing he got up to go to the bathroom. I don't know, but usually you see people in and out and, you know, moving around. Well, as I'm still preaching, I see him walk back in, and he walks past the row where his wife was seated, seated and, and he went two rows past and sat down by the wrong woman. 
and put his arm around the woman, and she turned and looked. I'm watching all this trying to preach, everybody. Nobody else knows what's going on. And his wife from two rows back was looking at, if, if looks could kill, I'm telling you right now. And it was one of them moments when I just said, let me stop right here. Let's just pray just a minute. How, how many know that's a gracious pastor, right, everybody? We used to bust people into our church in... And, um, and we would go into our outreach areas and just bust people in for the weekend services. And we were doing a Good Friday service, and there was a crowd yelling, crucify him. And we, I was preaching while the crucifixion and the three crosses and everything was going on. And, and all of a sudden, everyone was dressed in all Bible costumes and stuff and, and yelling, crucify him. And all of a sudden, I seen this guy that rode our buses into the service somehow got mixed up in the crowd scene, and everyone was in Bible garb, and he was in burnout Levi's and a green t-shirt yelling, crucify him. And, and the crowd stayed there for the remainder of the service, and when I gave the salvation call, somebody from the crowd raised their hand and asked Jesus into their life. How many of you think after yelling, crucify him, he needed to get saved, right, everyone? And I mean, there's just story after story that sometimes we'll sit around going, and remember the time, and remember the time, and We've had people break bones on the stage doing dramas, and we tell them the show must go on, and just all kind of fun things. Um, but but, but um, how many know not every story is so funny? Some of the stories in church are heartbreaking. Some of the stories are tough. And in our fourth church, stuff gets real. And there's some stories that are happening in this church that are a little bit tough. We're going to deal with the spirit of Jezebel, um, which is one of those things I said, if I preach on Jezebel, I'm going to find a different way to do it because it sounds so old school like you're in big trouble now. But we're going to have to preach what the Bible says, right, everybody? And so I want to give you a little bit of insight. I was going to wait till the seventh church to do this. But somebody asked me uh, last week, actually, why there were seven churches. Because there was a lot more than seven churches happening at this time. But why did Jesus talk to seven? Well, the number seven, especially in the book of Revelations, deals with the fullness or a completion. Uh, in other places, it means perfection. But basically, it just means complete. So, so basically, Jesus is using these seven to share the seven warnings and the seven issues to the capital C church. But not only that, uh, for those of you that might want to nerd out just a little bit on this stuff, the churches also give us a little bit of uh, prophetic history of, of the life of the church since Jesus left the earth. So let me give you an example. So um, I'll just hit these brief, and we'll hit them again a little stronger on part number seven when we get to Laodicea. So uh, in the first church, which was Ephesus, uh, Ephesus, um, it, it, um, it represents, I'm not saying the church of Ephesus was alive in these years, but it represents the capital C church, kind of, and these are vague numbers, from the year 27 to 100 A.D. The church of Ephesus represents the apostolic church. Jesus went on to heaven, and the disciples went and started churches. Paul started churches. Um, um, all the epistles, what we call the epistles in the New Testament, are letters to these churches. And so the church of Ephesus uh, represents the church life cycle from about 27 to 100 A.D. And then we have the church of Smyrna. And the church of Smyrna represents the second and third century. Uh, it represents what the church looked like from about 100 to about 313 A.D. And, and this is the persecuted church. This is Remember last week I told you uh, there was a time they tried to destroy the church. This was in that time. It was when they were throwing Christians in the Colosseums and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. Okay, So this is the church that was persecuted. The Roman Empire is large and in charge and trying to destroy the church. Uh, they couldn't destroy the church. And, and we'll get to that in, in just a minute. Then the next church is the church of Pergamos, and they represent the years of about 313 to about 517 
uh, um, A.D., and, and they are the compromise. They're the corrupt church. They're the church that now is under Constantine, the church that, be, because they couldn't defeat the church here, they decided if you can't beat them, join them. The emperor before Constantine tried to destroy the church. He couldn't. So Constantine comes along and realizes, hey, wait, maybe I can leverage the church for my benefit. By the way, this was the beginning of Catholicism, where there was one ruler that ruled the church and ruled the state. And whatever they wanted to go, either, either way. That's why you could get your head cut off if you didn't come to church. Or if you didn't do, this is the, really the beginning of the Pope, the ultimate power that decided how many taxes you're going to pay to the government and how many monies you're going to bring to the church. Okay, This is the beginning of that. I'm not equating that illustration with the Pope, but it's all power. It, it, that, that's, the, that, that's when that all kind of started. The church we're going to deal with tonight, I won't, I'll just hit real quick. It's the church of Thyatira, and they existed somewhere in these years between 517 A.D. to 1517 A.D., and this is really now the dominance of, the, uh, of Catholicism, where people had to go to a pope, had to go to confession, had to go to a high priest. Um, it was nothing like what Jesus intended for the church to be. It was nothing like we have now access into the throne room of heaven. And, um, and so, uh, and, and this, by the way, is where, uh, if you read your history books, is kind of in the dark ages because of a lot of that that's going on. I won't get into all that. Then church number five is the church of Sardis, which is 1517 to about 1739. Is this helpful for anybody, or at least interesting? Okay, uh, and, and so uh, this is the church of Sardis, and, and the church of Sardis represents the Reformation. Anybody ever heard of that? That's where Martin Luther came along. Martin Luther nailed his thesis on the church and said, wait a minute, no, no, we don't have to, we're saved by grace, right? And we have access into the presence of God, okay? So it's the Protestant Reformation, and that represents, this season and then church number six I can't wait to preach this one uh, the church of Philadelphia thank you Jesus there's a good one in there and uh, and and the church of Philadelphia is is 1739 and, and these are just vague numbers you know to the early 1900s ish if you read your history books about some of the great revivals uh, there were great revivals happening in this time Philadelphia was the church of love, and, and, and Philadelphia is one of the churches that has no complaint against it. And this represents when the church was in major revival, the turn of the century. Uh, for the first time ever, there were the Charles Spurgeons that were having mega churches, and George Whitfields, and Billy Sundays, and, and just amazing men, and particularly men, but men and women, that were filling stadiums, great moves of God, great healing crusades. And so that was happening in these years. You can study that in history. And then lastly, we get to the church of Laodicea, and the church church of Laodicea is known as the lukewarm church and I really believe it represents where the last day church is not everyone in the church is lukewarm because in the last days God will pour out his spirit there will always be a remnant but by and large uh, the church of Laodicea represents maybe where we are right now I believe where we are right now I believe even this pandemic has exacerbated that and even shown it even more that the church, particularly in America, is a lot like the church of Laodicea that was more about materialism, more about humanism, more about liberalism, and all of those, okay? Uh, I bet you can't wait for that one now. Woohoo! Yeah, okay? So in each letter, Jesus reveals his character. He also then gives a compliment. He gives a complaint with a few exceptions. And then he gives a correction and a promise. Okay, so let's dive into the church of Thyatira uh, in Revelations chapter number 2. Let's take a look at it. Um, to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, I'm going to go back. I, I didn't highlight this word. I told you that I, I really believe a lot of theologians believe that every church has a, just like we all have a guardian angel, every church kind of has a, a guardian angel. I'm going to give you a different slant on that, and I'm going to tell you I'm not sure if it's an angel 
or something else. Theologians are divided, but I'll, I'll share that in just a moment. Um, uh, these are the words of the... Now, he's revealing himself right here. Okay? These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like, like blazing fire. How many know that doesn't even sound good already? How many know what I'm saying? It's like, uh-oh. It's like a parent giving a stink eye. You know what I mean? How many of you had kids that you could just look at them and they would act right? But there was others that it took way more than a stink eye, right? You know, okay. Yeah, whoa. Okay, she raised her hand with like force. All right. And so, but, but some kids, you could just say, you know, this is, this is like Jesus' fire in his eyes is like the stink eye. Like, you better straighten up, all right? And, uh, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So let's just dive into that because I, I, I want to give you how he reveals himself because it's very pertinent to the things that he complains about. First of all, um, as I said, the angels, uh, many theologians believe that there's literally an angel for every church. Um, others believe that there, it's the possibility that these seven churches are written to the pastors of those churches. Because the word angel actually means messenger. And when you look at, um, it, it's like, look, you, you, you can't stand for certain things. And the messenger is responsible I want you to hear this. The, if that's true, then the messenger or the primary communicator of that local church has an extreme responsibility to teach the truth whether we like the truth or not. Please say amen right there because i got some truth to share tonight. All right? Whew. Make a brother feel good. All right? So, uh, so there, there's, some, there's some differing of opinions there, but regardless of where that lands, we still have to communicate truth, right? Okay. And that doesn't let anybody else off the hook. It's not like the pastor better straighten up. <laughs> I mean, you guys are here, and we're all in this thing called the church together. Thank you very much. Whew. All right, okay, so here's, here's some of the things that he says. So point number one is the revelation of what Jesus reveals about himself. The first thing he says is that he is the Son of God. And I think this is an interesting point. He says, I, I'm, I'm coming to you, church, and, and I'm the Son of God. And I think it's interesting that in this case, different from a multiple other places in the New Testament, he doesn't say he's the Son of Man. He says he's the Son of God. Many times the New Testament describes him as the son of man. And when the Bible's talking to him as, as, as the son of man, he's talking about the relational side of Jesus. And he's talking about the humanity side of Jesus. He's talking about uh, he, he's a Jesus that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, his whole relational side. But here he says, I'm coming as the son of God, not the son of man, the son of God. This shows his authority. It shows his power. It shows his deity. In other words, when, when, when a parent has to say, I'm the parent and you're not, how many know things have gone a little too far? Right, everybody? Okay. If a boss has to say, look, I'm the boss, and because I said so, you know, that's kind of, he, he's pulling the authority card here. And then he says this, he says, uh, he, he reveals himself as uh, eyes are like blazing fire. Now, let me give you a little insight here. Thyatira, there's a lot of sexual sin going on in this church because of Jezebel. And Thyatira's problems are in the private lives of the people. But we can't first blame the people if the angels, I kind of like being called an angel, by the way, if the pastors or the communicators aren't raising the standard and the bar and letting people know that sin means missing the mark, therefore there must be a mark that we're aiming at. That doesn't mean we throw grace out the window. We, are, we have grace for when we miss the mark, but we ought to be trying to hit a mark. Okay, and, and so Thyatira's problem is there's a lot of sin going on out in the private lives, and the thought is, is anyone raising the standard? Is the angel of the church at Thyatira, are they drawing a bullseye? What, what is the end game here as we walk with Christ, okay? And, 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 and I want you to see this picture of Jesus with eyes of fire, because I'm afraid that a lot of people grew up with a Sunday school Jesus, Anybody remember what flannel graph is? 
Oh, look at you. All right, flannel graph. Remember the days? Come on, any flannel graphers over here? Yeah, remember that? Yeah, I mean, we've come so far. <laughs> a little Jesus on the flannel graph. If you Google flannel graph. Isn't that ironic? Google flannel graph. That's interesting. Anyway, uh, and, and, and in children's church, they would put a flannel graph Jesus on there. Little blonde-haired Jesus, real sunken in, frail face, walking on the seashores of Galilee, holding a lamb. If that's your picture of Jesus, he's trying to say, that's the Son of Man, but the Son of God is here, and he's got fire in his eyes. I'm ready to do some things here, all right? So he's just kind of revealing a different picture of himself here. And then lastly, he reveals himself um, as the Son of God, eyes of blazing fire, and feet like bronze. Anytime you see brass or bronze in Scripture, it's always symbolic of judgment. Now, a church that preaches grace a lot, like we do, you might not hear a lot of messages about judgment. But there is judgment, everybody. There is, there is a consequence to actions that we take in life. And, and so, um, so, so he, he will... I, I don't want you to just view this as he's going to judge you, but what if he's also going to judge the thing that keeps tripping you up? What if he's also going to judge the, the, the addiction, the habit, the hurt? Come on now, the devil. So, so I don't want you to see it in this old school, he can't wait to come in and crush you. No, judgment doesn't just mean that he's going to judge you, but maybe he's going to judge the circumstances that if you're trying to get out. Let me say it another way. He, he, will, he will step in when you need him to step in if you're trying to hit the mark. But if you're not trying to hit the mark, he might step on and mess up our worlds. I'd rather him step in than step on. How many know what I'm saying, right? Okay. All right, so, so, so that's kind of the revelation. So keep that uh, on the shelf here. Let's talk about the compliments. I'm going to hit these a little bit faster uh, because they're a little bit re redundant and repetitive to some of the other churches, uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But the compliments, let's read that verse in verse number 19. You'll see all the compliments right here. He says, I know your deeds, I know your love, I know your faith, I know your services, and I know your perseverance, okay? Deeds and perseverance are kind of the same, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So here's a church that's doing a lot of good things. They first started off, they were doing, but they're doing more than ever now. So those are some things that he likes. Um, and so I'm going to break these into my own points and, and kind of label them my own way. They all mean the same thing. They're right there. But just because I'm a preacher, they need to all start with the same letter. Okay, everybody? So uh, first of all, he compliments their labor. And I, want, I, I just wanted to bring this out again because he compliments some of the other churches for their labor. In fact, in this verse, he compliments their labor twice. In other words, labor or works Come on, everybody. It's important to Jesus. Yes, we're saved by grace, and we stay saved by grace. Um, <laughs> but, friends, there, he, he continues to say that as a disciple, as someone that's growing in Christ, come on, how many know there ought to be some works that we're doing, some labor in the, in the house of God? Um, and, and let me say it this way, just to kind of maybe get your attention on it. Yes, we're saved by grace, but what if we're judged by works? Yeah, you can write that down if you want to. Uh, no, no, I want you to think about it. I, I don't even know how theological I want to get about that, but I just want you to consider it. Yes, we're saved by grace. Let me say it another word that doesn't sound so harsh, because judge, nobody in church likes that word anymore. So what if we're saved by grace, but what if we're rewarded by our works. What if he gives us salvation through grace, that's his gift to us. What if our gift to him is our work back to him by being his hands and his feet and his mouth on this earth? Because greater works will you do than I do because I go to the Father. Come on, you got to be with me on that, right? We're saved by grace. I'll never change that. That's what the Bible says. But what are we doing? What will we be rewarded for when we step into his presence? Thank you for salvation, but I 
I want him to be able to thank me also for feeding the hungry, for being a, a, a life-giving church, for being generous, for being loving, for being forgiving, for representing his heart here on this earth. Can I get an amen from somebody on that, right? Okay, so it's our labor, uh, and that's why we have to do things like serve day. As far as I'm concerned, we don't have a choice in that. We don't have a, in fact, we, we dedicate one weekend out of the year to be serve day. Every weekend ought to be serve day. Those that are growing and maturing in Christ, there ought to be a serve, a labor. Come on now, right? As you've done to the least of these You've done so unto me. Okay, so then the love. Remember, Ephesians got in trouble because they left their first love, but he's complimenting them because they're still loving people. Is anybody else hot in here? It's hot in here, ain't it? I'm going to sweat tonight. All right. Okay, so their love, then their loyalty. He compliments their loyalty, their faithfulness. Remember, we've, we've kind of hammered this point already. Jesus is really into this faithfulness thing. He's, he's really into his people being faithful to him because he paid such a great price. Then, uh, lastly, is the perseverance, or I'm going to call it long-suffering. In other words, you got stay in power. In other words, I don't care if the whole world backslides tomorrow, I'm going to love my Jesus. I don't care if they close down my church, I'll close my living room off, and I will have my own church. Come on now. I don't care if they make me wear a mask. I will still sing his praises. Can I get an amen out there, right? Okay, so those are the compliments. Okay, I've stalled long enough. Hey, Radius Church, just want to interrupt the message here real quick and just let you know about a couple of things. Um, right now, we are kind of in full force for the Radius Outreach Center, and over the past probably month, month plus, we have uh, been collecting shoes and boots. And just in the last couple of weeks, we are now uh, starting a food drive. So if that is something you're interested in participating in, please go out, buy, and just bring it here. You'll see uh, right out in the cafe table, you'll see boots out there, you'll see uh, groceries and food out there and everything. Uh, I'll, I'll be providing you a list you'll be able to see of kind of specific items that we're looking for. Uh, if it's not something you're actually able to take the time and go out and purchase yourself, uh, but you want to contribute towards it, you can just give right on the webpage, radiuschurch.tv, click the give button, and then make sure to designate on the drop down under outreach. But this is all in preparation for serve day on August 7th so um, guys it's it's gonna be awesome this year and just it's awesome to see the vision starting to take hold and starting to progress and move forward and then just that momentum building so uh, again if that's something you're interested in participating in just want to make sure that you're aware of that that, that you can now participate and so uh, again uh, serve day is August 7th and we are collecting boots, shoes, and groceries, and that's all I got for you. Let's get back to the message. Here comes the complaint. Here comes the boom, all right? And it's kind of a doozy. And I think you're going to have to agree with me after we dig into it. Uh, it's a complaint that's very obvious in our culture today. And I'm just going to hit two of the high points here, but let's go to the nevertheless. <laughs> Verse number 20. Nevertheless. I have this against you. Watch this. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Anybody ever heard of her besides right here? Okay, I just kind of want to see who I'm... Okay, and she calls herself a prophet. How many know the worst enemy to the church is the people that look like they have God, but they're doing... Remember what he told the one church? They're really in the synagogue of Satan. Right? I, I can deal with the evil out there. What's tricky to deal with and what's hurtful in the church world is the evil that is dressed up and carrying a Bible. Jezebel's leading a life group in their church. Literally, if I could contextualize you, you can dive into it. That's basically, if we could put that old ancient scripture into contextualize it, that's basically what she's doing. And she's growing power, and, and she's growing the biggest life group. Mark, watch out for her, okay? Just want to make sure, all right. Um, and, and she's misleading servants into sexual immorality. Um, and it's kind of the same sin we dealt with last week. She is an advocate of saying, we're saved by grace, so your spirit is saved. Your body is cursed. It's dying anyway, so do whatever you want with your body. Okay, we'll get into that in just a minute. And the eating of food, sacrifice to idols, we already kind of dealt with that uh, last week. So, um, 
He says you tolerate. And I'm going to talk about that word tolerate or tolerance tonight. Uh, Now, so you might remember her. Let me give you a little history lesson. If you want to take notes on this, if you're not familiar with who Jezebel is, you can find her in the book of 1 Kings. Uh, She's married to an evil king at the time named Ahab, and Ahab's just as scared of her as everybody else is, and they are evil, evil. Let me give you a little further background. Jezebel had a father who, uh, who was a priest in, in, uh, in, a, in a cult, and he uh, glorified and promoted sexual sins in the temple of their place of worship. So there was all kind of things going on in there, from temple prostitution to orgies as a, as a form of worship to their God. So this is the home she grew up in. And somehow she wandered into the church because we got an open circle. Hello. And I still believe Jezebel ought to be in here. But we got to have an angel that will hear Jesus say, say this to the church and draw a target and raise a standard. Come on. That's the difference. It's not that we're pushing those people out. It's that they can come here, but we're not lowering our standard to their lifestyle. We're trying to raise their lifestyle to the standard of the Word of God. So we have to preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Can somebody help me out here tonight, right? Okay. So... Now, let me take you a little bit further. She killed God's prophets, so she's killing God's move, God's messengers, and she tried to kill Elijah, who was the man of God, and, um, and some in this verse, uh, again, they're mixed on this, some say there's a Jezebel spirit in this church that's like the first king's Jezebel. Others say, no, she was actually a real person that attended that church that had gained a lot of power, okay? Regardless, the church leaders have to raise the standard, everybody. Yes, we can have an open circle, but that doesn't mean we lower the standard. Ahab in the Old Testament wouldn't even stand up to his wife, just like here in Revelations, the church leaders wouldn't stand up to her either. And there's a lot of nasty going on. And the spirit of Jezebel then is free to roam around in the church. And this is extremely tough to teach, but it's also extremely important for us to know lest immature Christians be led astray by someone that looks godly, come on somebody, but they're not godly. I need some help in this church to make sure that our circle stays open, but our standard stays high. That was pretty good. I like that brick that down right there. Okay, so let me just give you two characteristics. There's a lot of them, but let me hit the two main ones because he says, here's what I'm against. You've put up, you've tolerated with Jezebel. So let me give you two of her characteristics that I think you'll have to agree are dominant. Here's the reason that I said that one of these points tonight might look a little self-serving. Please give me a little grace and know I don't have any hidden agenda. I'm not trying to say something. Don't go out here going, I wonder what he was really trying to say. If you know me at all, I say what I say. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So, um, here is the first character trait of Jezebel. Uh, she is always, she always comes against spiritual leadership. She always comes against spiritual leadership. She is always trying to stop a move of God. She is always trying to do something that hinders what God wants to do in the lives of people that are in the church. Have you ever met her? Come on, let's see. Has anybody ever met that person? Like literally, like, oh yeah. I've been there before, and God's moving, but there's this one spirit. We won't call him a person because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Okay? Okay. Um, and, and, and it comes across like, well, you know, that church isn't spiritual enough, so let me teach you, let me take you deeper. That pastor isn't teaching deep enough, so you ought to join my group so I can teach you what the Word really says. They're always trying to one-up and act like they know, and they have a hidden revelation that nobody else knows. They're in the church, everybody. They're, they're in the church. And, and, and Jesus is telling this angel and this church, you got to watch out for that because I want to move in my church. I want to bless in my church. I want to heal in my church. I want this church to be a life-giving church. So when you see the Jezebel, you got to watch out for it. 
You can't put up with it. You can't tolerate it. Uh, So she comes against Elijah in the Old Testament. So watch this. I want you to see this story, and do your best to just contextualize it. I don't have time to do all that. Elijah challenges the, people, the, the false prophets to a, 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 like a revival meeting, if you want to call it. He challenges the false prophets of Baal. If your God is God, then let fire come. But if my God, Jehovah, is God, let fire come. Most of you know the story. 450 prophets, they build their altar. They cry out to their God. Nothing happens. Elijah says, okay. He builds his altar. He cries out to God after he covers it with water and God comes down with fire. How many know that's a good church service? Try capturing that on PowerPoint. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that is a move of God. Turn the page and see Elijah wanting to commit suicide, leave the ministry, and is in depression because of the spirit of Jezebel. And we think that's a joke, but let me just tell you a few things. Right now, in America, one pastor out of ten that start in the ministry when they're in their 20s will make it until they're 60 years old. It's always been hard, but now you got social media. Now you got a divided country. Now you got a country that nobody trusts any kind of leadership. And some of it we've brought upon ourselves. And see, if you don't see, see, I'm in the world, and I understand. I've seen guys that have led some of the greatest churches in America that want nothing to do with the church now because we've put up with the slander of a Jezebel spirit. Come on. 80% of pastors believe that the ministry has affected their family negatively that they were a lot better off, their families were a lot better off before they started preaching this good news called the gospel. Friends, that's a tragedy. Would anybody agree with me on that? Not because of the hard work, everybody works hard, but because of the lying, manipulating, slanderous, Jezebel, cancel, cancel culture that we have in our world today. Remember he, com- he complimented them for loyalty? Where's loyalty in the church anymore? Where's loyalty, brotherly and sisterly loyalty to one another? Not just to God. Um, I heard somebody one time say, if you want to know the temperature of the church, put the thermometer in the pastor's mouth. See, you ought to want your pastor or your spiritual leader, or if you're watching online and this isn't your church, the pastor of the church, you ought to want the pastor that's teaching you to be blessed and to be on fire for God and his heart to be full and for him to be refreshed. Because the anointing that goes on the head drips down Aaron's beard, the Old Testament says, onto the body. In other words, you're going to be blessed because you're in the house, come on, of the spiritual leader that is blessed. So we ought to protect the sacred things. Come on. See, you're already doing it. You're trying to read between the lines. What's he really trying to say? I'm saying it pretty good, I think. There's no other hidden alternative. I I care enough about what's going on. My heart breaks every time I get a phone call from a pastor friend that tells me of a mutual friend that says, I'm done. I was just telling Mark before service, I just got off the phone right when I was coming to church tonight. I was trying to eat dinner, and one of my overseers called me and said, Ken, you're not going to believe it. One of the, and I can't call the name, but one of the great churches in New York City, man, they're closing up shop. Ran thousands of people. But since COVID, man, and social injustice, and all the craziness, and the, all the politic divide, and all that, he said, I just can't do it any longer. That's bad news for that city of New York. I said, it's bad news, everybody. I love this little story, and if I get hung up on this, then we're just going to trust God in the direction tonight. But 2 Samuel, there's this story that I love, and it's very dear to my heart. And it's about David. Remember David? David that killed Goliath? Everybody knows him, right? Well, David killed Goliath when he was a young man. And now he rises up through the ranks, and we find him later in his life trying to fight a descendant of Goliath, and he almost loses his life. And he would have lost his life if one of his mighty men hadn't showed up and rescued him. See, he didn't have mighty men back here when he was planting the church. But along the way, they journeyed together and they fought together and they prayed together and they worshipped together and they were in the trenches together. Come on now. And, and by the time he got here, he had some mighty men around him. So he didn't have to fight the battles by himself anymore. Now hold on. 
I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about somebody's going to have to fight for what's represented in this circle right here. Every time we attend, every time we use our skills, every time we bring a bag of groceries and a pair of shoes and write a check and give online, every time we do that, we're saying, no, no, we fought that giant and we'll keep fighting that giant because we want to protect the move of God that is happening. There's no pandemic. There's no problem. There's no government. There's no mask. There's no devil in hell there's no Jezebel spirit that is going to close down a work of God so don't let it come in against us come on man let me read this scripture to you it says this in 2nd Samuel on one time David got very tired has anybody else been very tired I'm just going to tell you pastors are made of the same thing so we get tired too And that's why this verse is so powerful. It says he got very tired when he and his soldiers were fighting the Philistines. One of the Philistine warriors, uh, Ishbi Binab, we're just going to call him Mr. Mr. Ish, all right? So one of the Philistine warriors was this dude who was a descendant of the giant. The giant is Goliath, okay? And he was a giant too. He tried to kill David. But Abishai came to the rescue, who is one of the 37 mighty men. He came to his rescue and killed the Philistine. That's a cool story, but I like the last part of the story. The last part of the story is David's soldiers gathered around David. He said, hey David, you're not supposed to be doing this by yourself anymore. Hey David... You can't go out at another stage of your life and pretend it's like the early stage of your life. You can't carry all of your responsibilities by yourself now. It's different than carrying your father's cheese to the battlefield. But you're over a whole lot more now, and if you go down, a lot of people pay the price. That's what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, watch this. David's soldiers told him, we can't let you risk your life in battle anymore. You give light to our nation, and we want that flame to keep on burning. Who's going to be keepers of the flame? I'll just be real transparent with you. I, do ha- I have no desire to pastor a church full of consumers. I, I could care less if anybody ever tells me again, ooh, that's a good sermon. I don't care. I really don't. What I care is we protect this flame and we become a light in this community and we feed physically hungry people and we heal emotionally hungry people and we feed spiritually hungry people and this this church that we believe God led us to start, it doesn't flicker out, it doesn't burn out, it doesn't give out, it doesn't dry out, come on somebody, but it continues, the light continues to grow in a community that desperately needs the light of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Come on now. Don't answer it out loud. You don't have to. But who's going to be a keeper of the flame? Somewhere we got to get tired of coming to church and hearing sermons. In fact, the most important thing that I said tonight was probably the stuff on this card. We're going to feed some people. We're going to give away some shoes. And I need somebody to sign up. That's probably the most important thing I've said tonight. But we look at that as the preliminaries. Now let's get to the real stuff. No, that's the real stuff. And the people that are going to show up to that, that's, that's the real stuff. Am I being too hard? We look at this great man of God, Elijah, and now he's suicidal and he just had a fire of revival. He wants to end his life. 75% of pastors say they don't have a single person that they call friend. Now, that's interesting because I can't share my burden with you because sheep aren't supposed to carry the shepherd's burden. But i got to have some people in the trenches. Hello? Um, Watch this. Here's another really interesting point. Now, how many know who followed Elijah? Elisha followed Elijah. Elijah did a lot of miracles, but the Bible says that Elisha, man, I'm out of time already. But Elisha, I haven't even got to all the points. But Elisha, the Bible says, did double the miracles. Double the miracles. Let me quick show you the difference. The difference is 
they got rid of Jezebel and replaced Jezebel with a, 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 a lady that the Bible doesn't give us her name. The Bible only refers to her as the Shunammite woman. Anybody remember her? The Shunammite woman, they believed in Elisha, the move of God is what he represents, the hand of God, the voice of God. They believed in that so much that the Bible says in 2 Kings that they built a room, her and her husband built a room on their house so that when Elisha was there, he could stay there. Now tell me the difference between Jezebel, come on now, and the Shunammite woman. The Shunammite woman made room, and by the way, she's probably glad she made room because one time her son died, and Elisha said, bring her to my room, and healed her. And so you get blessed by the things you make room for. Right? Okay, so Elisha did double the miracles because they got rid of a Jezebel, and they made room for the move of God. Does that make sense? Friends, I'm, listen, please hear me that are watching online. you got to make room for the move of God. It can no longer be, well, I'll get to God when I have time. I'll get to God when the job slows down. I'll get to God when the sun's not shining. you got to make room for the move of God in your life. And if you do, would you agree, He will show up in your life. Right, everybody? All right. Um, well, I'm out of time, and I'm like on page two, and I got 12. Um, let, me, let me just give you some high points so you that want to can at least go dig into it on your own. Um, the second thing, character trait of Elisha, uh, excuse me, of Jezebel, is not only does she try to hinder the moves of God, but she justifies and embraces sexual sin. Now, I could go down the historical road here because Thyatira represents the time that the Catholic Church came in, and Catholic Church basically at that time said that they had the power to override anything that was in Scripture. So whatever the state said, that went. And whatever the church said, it had the power to override Scripture. And so Scripture said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But in that time, the Pope said, Yeah, but we can worship these statues. And we can worship Mary. I know it's uncomfortable because some of us have Catholic roots. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just telling you history, okay? But watch this. Watch what it is. She justifies and embraces sexual sin. That's exactly what was going on there. Because God said, you'll have no other gods before me. The church is supposed to be the bride of Christ. But instead of being the church, the pure and spotless bride, they were worshiping. It's like spiritual fornication. It's like spiritual adultery. We have a God, a husband, but we're coming to other idols to satisfy our spiritual needs. Is anybody seeing that? And tell me if that isn't predominant in our culture and society today. Sexual sin is rampant in our culture. I'm not throwing stones. I want you, whoever's on the journey, you're welcome here. We're never going to throw stones at you. We will love you. We, we, we will accept you. But that doesn't mean necessarily that we agree with the lifestyle or the things that you're into. Amen, everybody? And tolerance. It says this, that they tolerated the spirit of Jezebel. Tolerance is non-agreement. And it's okay that we tolerate one another. That doesn't mean we agree with one another. In fact, the very word, let me give you this real quick before I mess it up. It means to accept someone or something that's unpleasant to you or disagreeable with patience. In other words, I disagree, and what you're doing gets on my nerves, but I'm going to tolerate it so we can stay on the journey and live life together. So I'm going to tolerate you. That doesn't mean I agree with you. We can disagree and still walk in love. But watch this. There has to be tolerance in the church, but we can't. What Jesus is upset here is you might have some tolerance, but you don't have any truth to balance the tolerance. You have to have tolerance, but you also have to preach the truth. Otherwise, anything goes and whatever you feel is right is right. So we don't need policemen because whatever you feel is right is right. Come on, somebody. Tell me that's not where our nation is going. 
Whatever's right for you is right for you, and whatever's right for you is right for you. And how many know we all have different lines between what is right and wrong? And yes, we can tolerate one another on the journey, but somebody has to say there's a target, there is truth to that without omitting the grace that goes with it. Right, everybody? Okay, at the very end, he gives a correction. Uh, I, I don't really have time. It really talks about if you don't repent... It starts talking about end times eschatology that (laughs) there's going to be some bad news coming. And really that's really beginning to hint about tribulation time and uh, stuff that I'm out of time. But let me give you the promises that he gives just real quick. Uh, Take me all the way to the promises. What's number one? Uh, Do I have those? Uh, Yeah, skip that. uh, come on, go to the, uh, I got number one, it says something like the power of, uh, 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 yeah, okay. So here's, he gives them two promises. If you'll repent, if you'll repent, church, then here's my two promises. I'm going to give you the power to rule. And what he's referring to, if you read the rest of that chapter, he's saying, look, if you don't repent, there's a mighty tribulation coming. But if you do repent, I'm going to give you power to rule during what many call the millennial reign of Christ, where we rule and reign with Christ because you repented. And then number two, as he says in that verse, I'm just using exactly what the verse says, he says that, that I'll give you the morning star. And the morning star is Jesus. He's basically saying, I'm going to give you myself. He's saying that, that, that I'm coming back so that where I am, you will be with me. And he comes back to his faithful church. So if we repent, we get the power to rule and reign with him. If the church will repent, come on everybody, then he is coming to be with us. I don't know about anybody else. That's good news. That's good news, everybody. Will you receive that message tonight? I'm going to stop right there. All right, everybody? I'm just going to stop right there.